guys, hello and welcome back. I'm Jojo Fraser. It's time for a Mojo Injection, episode 108. It's so nice to have you here. Guys, thank you so much for all the messages so far about my TEDx talk. If you've not tuned in yet, if you just go to Jojo Fraser, The Silent Virus, it should come up on TEDx. It will be in the TED website soon. I shared with my heart and soul, it's 17 and a half minutes. So wow, thank you for committing to the end of that. I know these days, so fast paced, to get people to commit to listening for 17 and a half minutes is a big deal. Um, And I've been blown away by the feedback and the messages. So thank you for helping me challenge the silent virus, guys. It's so dear to my heart, as many many of you will know, if you've followed my work for the past six years, um, it's my kind of underlying key message in everything that I do. So that just means so much. Um, I'm sending you loads of love and positive vibes. I'm feeling really festive and just doing what brings joy. That's what I'd encourage you all to do. You know, I'm keeping up my cold while swimming, but I've got my booties uh, and my my gloves to take into the reservoir now. I think when I went last week, it was three degrees. um, So it's just going to get colder and colder. But yeah, that brings me joy and it's free. Music brings me joy. I'll be making a playlist on my YouTube at Jojo Fraser. Um, Lots of music, candles, fire, walking and seeing the lights at night. Just do what makes you happy, guys. Not what you feel you have to do, but do what makes you happy. Find your intrinsic joy. Um, and, And yeah, just don't be afraid to get still this year and just be kind to yourself. So, this episode is so interesting. Um, Don Bates, you can find your donbates.com. What an interesting girl. We actually recorded this in Brazil um, via Zoom. And Don has 20 plus years of entrepreneurial experience, coaching and leading individuals and teams to outstanding results. She's clearly so passionate and knowledgeable. Um, she has worked with so many people across so many different cultures. 20 years of international travel, working in the UK, Europe, the Middle East and Australasia. Wow, our clients have spanned five continents. Love that. She's a passion for leadership and cultural diversity. She brings a wealth of knowledge and experience and her expertise lies in making you rethink your business blueprint, your life and the world we live in. Deep stuff. You know I'm all up for this. Um, The deepest freedom of all your own truth, authenticity, which, yep it's so key it's not always easy but it's so key when you can take that risk and this podcast is here to encourage you to take that risk so as well as being an international best-selling author multiple times over um dawn is a strategist and a ghostwriter um wow there's quite a lot she gets involved in um and yeah i just i really really enjoyed this chat um, Dawn is an authority on leading others to create exceptional results by igniting the passions and fire deep within. Oh yeah, baby. So let's get Dawn on and we'll have a chat about whatever comes up. This is a relaxed, safe space where we can just keep it real. And that's a great snapshot um, in this episode. So I'm really delighted to share it with you guys. So jump in. Let's do it. All the love. Fabulous. So we're going to Brazil today. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Nice to meet you too, JJ. (laughs) 
we got there in the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> this chat, I've been reading all about you, and um, it seems like you've you're living a very interesting life. So, yeah, like what what's been your inspiration to get to where you are today? Because you're obviously helping lots of people. You're doing a lot of coaching. You're a best selling author globally. You've got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when you're a mama, you've got eyes watching you, right? So you've got to be the very best version of yourself if you want your children to be. Love that. Yeah, I think mm. that I think when you become a mom, it does change something within you. Mm. Absolutely. We've just been discussing it in the in the kitchen over breakfast. Um, it's like you know, looking for a bikini or you know, like the behaviour because some of them want, wanted me to go party with them last night, and I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. I'm like, I'm going to bed. I've had my party days are long gone. And I could have out-partied all of you, trust me. But the thing is, is that even when you're buying a bikini, um, you know, my son is flying out to meet me. He doesn't want to see his mum's bits all over the place, you know, so I'm not going to go for an itsy-bitsy bikini, you know. And because of, like you said, you know, I am quite well-known um, and, you know, that people that I meet around and I don't want people, um, I don't want to do anything. Um, not that I don't trust myself, but things can get misconstrued. So if I'm at a party or I'm chatting with someone or, you know, I'm laughing or what have you, and people are around me drunk, even if I'm not drinking, it could be misconstrued that I'm in on something that's filmed, put on social media, that impacts my boys. I have got a responsibility to my clients, to my children, to my family, to my parents and to myself to be and honor myself in all areas of my life. And I take it really seriously. You know, you, when people look up to you, you have a duty, you know, freedom doesn't, you know, with, with freedom comes responsibility. So for me, I take it quite seriously, probably a bit too seriously, according to some, but Hey, my so choice. How do you unwind though? Cause for some people unwinding is going and dancing on the tables and releasing that, animal within <laughs> what would be your way to like let out any negative energy or just whoa oh I, I just go and sing and dance in the ocean or I go sailing I mean I'm sailing around the world and I just switch off completely from social media I dive into a great book um, I go for a run um, I yeah go swimming like just honestly like the moment that a wave hits my feet or I dive underneath a wave. I am lost in the ocean. Yeah. yeah. It's a healthier yeah, it's way to just... be than being lost in the booze, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I've been there. Um, and but I, one of the things I find is that um, we use booze to either give us confidence, to numb something, to unleash something, but it's a, it's a temporary thing. And once you've done the inner work and you've gone deep within yourself and you've gone, actually, I don't need alcohol to be confident. I don't need alcohol to feel um, courageous or I don't need alcohol to unwind. I can just choose to unwind. I can choose to be happy without it. I mean, I haven't had a drink for a couple of years before that, only a year. And then I didn't drink before that. Um, and then I was drinking before that, and then I didn't drink for 15 years. Alcohol's never really been a big thing in my life, but when it has been in my life, it has been, 
you know, there are some really gorgeous flavored gins out there and a dry martini straight on the rocks, you know, and an espresso martini after dinner. I know what, they're nice, right? They're really but nice. They're a bit too nice. <laughs> I want to get the taste for it, you know. Yeah. And then again, yeah. it's because you do a lot of work to get people to find who they really are. Like, where did mm. the passion come from? How did you end up? doing what you're doing today? Um, well, I mean, as with anything, um, it's been, I mean, I, I've been running my own businesses since I was 21. Um, so I've been in the game quite a long time, um, you know, and um, I've always done a lot of people watching and observing, and I love understanding um, who we are. I've always done it. I've always that, you know, that really annoying child in the classroom that put the hand up and asked, why? Why is that then? Um, and I read textbooks for fun. Um, I probably, like a friend of mine, she's a PhD supervisor and she's like, oh my God, she goes, you've got more PhDs in your head than most PhD supervisors. <laughs> you know, theology, neurology, uh, like, I mean, I've refused a PhD, fully funded PhD in criminal law and um i can't remember what the other bit they wanted me to do was i have refused a master's degree in business i and a master's in marketing because it's like well no well why would i take that i haven't done the course so why would i accept that mm -hmm. and why would i want to be tied to a university for five years because you have funded and given me an honorary because this is the thing when yeah i mean it might sound prestigious but what people don't understand is once you accept that, you are tied to that university for a number of years and you have to do certain obligations that I'm too much for a rebel and a renegade to, I don't even know where I'm going to be like, you know, at the end of this year. Well, I do actually, because the end of this year is only six weeks away. So <laughs> I know where I, <laughs> I'm going to be on the beach with my boy. <laughs> yes. How old's your boy now? Um, he, he is 13. He'll be 14 in January. Um, and he'll be flying out to meet me uh, very, very, uh, very soon. So that's, uh, yeah, he flies, both my boys fly solo around the world now. So, wow. yeah, I see them navigate Gatwick. <laughs> so did you, so you've always been really curious and you like mm -hmm. watching people. And so would you say you've always had that desire to kind of help people? Um, always, because, you know, why would you not want to help somebody? It's quite selfish, really. Um, and um, my grandmother um, always used to say to me, if there's no point having anything unless you're willing to share it. Um, and, my grandma, and my grandfather always used to say, if you can make someone smile, it's worth waking up. So I grew up with grandparents. That, I mean, these were simple farming folk you know, in a little village of 200 people in, uh, on the Cambridge and Norfolk border, you know, where, it, so it's, you know, wise words from an old lady and an old man, you could say, but I think when you are a good person and, you know, it's not about us. And I think what we need to understand is that when we're always focusing on what's good for me, we don't really get very far, but when we look at what's good for everybody, we actually understand more people and we're a lot more forgiving, but we also want to serve more people. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, the we FM, as we call it, what's in it for me? Well, it's not like, for example, I've had people come to me and want me to publish their books. 
Um, but what's your motivation? Oh, well, I want to get this. I want to do this. I, and it's like, okay, no, I don't want to publish your book. I don't want to work with you. It's intention, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. I mean, my, if people want to come to me and they just want an international bestseller, but why do you want that? You know, anyone can get an international bestseller. If my, I, I, could, I could publish a book of my dog's paw prints and get it to be an international bestseller because it's a marketing strategy. It's all down to how you market it. And it doesn't matter about the content of the book. And as an international bestseller on multiple continents with multiple books, you know, kind of probably giving the game away now and it's probably going to dispel the whole marketing aspect. But it is good marketing. But it's understanding why you want that book to have that status. My goal is the Nobel Prize for Literature. Because once you've got that, then you know that your books have been recognised as a service to humanity. I, rem I remember the first time I saw that award, I was like, that's what I want. <laughs> Amazing. So, like, take us back to before you started to write your first book. Like, how did this begin? Um... Well, I'd been, like I said, I'd been in business with my ex-husband um, since I was 21. We were engaged, no, we were married. Were we married at that point? I can't remember. I met him at 18 in the middle of a rave um, in the techno room at Helt Skelter, for those of you in the UK that know who that, what that is. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I do wear the Adidas three stripe all the time. Um, peace, love and unity and respect and all of that jazz. Um, and we started a business and... You know, with him being an Arab as well, that was like, oh, you know, we used to get stopped by the police wherever we go because he was obviously my drug dealer or my pimp driving around in a Mercedes with a white girl in his car. Um, so I'm, uh, and then I got involved, you know, through business, I got involved in community projects and, you know, then I was asked to mentor people and coach people. So I've been mentoring and coaching people in entrepreneurship for over 20 years. Um, and... Through that, I kept getting asked to do speeches. I kept getting asked all the same questions. I went, you know what? I'm just going to write a bloody book. <laughs> and so I wrote this book, um, and it was about social stereotypes, rural racism, raving, and religion, and you know, like, and using my life as a catalyst. And I exposed quite a bit. Um, so that was the first book I wrote that in Egypt during the uprising because we went to live in Egypt after our second child, and I was really sick. And I remember lying in the hospital bed after NASA was born saying, you know what, I really don't want to have this business anymore. Mm -hmm. um, my account, our accountant was just like, what? Mm -hmm. I was like, I, I'm not serving anybody by doing this. I'm just making corporates more money. I don't, I'm not inspired by it anymore. Mm -hmm. When you face your own mortality, I think it puts things into perspective. Mm -hmm. And um, so we then moved to Egypt, lived through the uprising. Um, and then when we got back to the UK four years later, and I'm listening to all the rhetoric and all the ignorance that's being said about what happened in Egypt. I, and I, was, I remember I stood in the kitchen and I was making dinner and my dog is sat beside me. And you know when a dog turns its head enough to say, what are you talking about? Oh, yes, I completely understand you. My head's going from one side to the other. And I'm having this full on conversation with my dog. I went, that's it. I'm going to write another book. I cannot have all of this out there. Like, people need to be educated. So that's when I wrote Wallahi. The first book that I wrote in Egypt was Friday Bridge, the name of the village where I grew up. Um, and then it's just kind of like, I kind of, I hate injustice. I hate bullies. I hate ignorance. And I use the word hate with 
fully understanding what that word means. Um, and I know it's quite a toxic energy, so I do tend to cleanse myself a lot. But I, I just, I mean, I've just put out on my Instagram, ignorance is bliss, but it's also selfish. Um, and um, it's quite interesting. I like seeing how sometimes uh, like I, over a coffee, I'll go on my Instagram. I don't really pay that much attention to it, to be honest. Um, I interact with people, but um, it's interesting to see what posts um, are put out by my social media manager and how many uh, likes I get and how many uh, followers go up and down because you can say, well, they were really triggered by that quote. Right, we'll do more of that. Because the more people are triggered, the more opportunity they have to heal. I love that. The more people are triggered, the more opportunity. So what makes someone triggered? Is it because they feel they're being judged? Is it because, you know, it's awakened something within them that mm -hmm. it's not quite right? Yeah, you know, so for example, if I get triggered, it's like, oh, okay, why did that? Why did that annoy me? Mm -hmm. Why did that upset me? Why is that just really rawr? set that fire? Okay, where did that come from? Okay, that came from there. Okay, well, what triggered that? And then it's like you look back through your life and you go, ah, oh, mm -hmm. okay, well, that was a choice I made when I was a four year old, or that was a choice I made when I was 18. Why am I, as a grown woman with children, still hanging on to a decision or a choice or a feeling I owned in my teens or in my uh, childhood? Mm -hmm. You know, we've got so many six and seven year olds running businesses in the world because they're making decisions and they're offended or they're, but sometimes it can be a passion to fuel us. Yeah. Like an injustice, you know, you might have lost a parent and so you are against drink drivers and you are campaigning for that. Mm -hmm. You know, so there, there are some triggers which are really good, but unless we understand them, we don't, we can't heal them or we can't use them. And it's about turning negatives into positives and understanding that everything happens for us, not to us. Because if we believe that things happen to us, we go into a state of victimhood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if we feel that someone is judging us, I don't care if people judge me. Because how do you become a good judge of character if you don't judge other people? People keep saying that judgment is really bad. I disagree. Judgment is necessary. I need to judge a situation to know whether it's safe to be in that situation. I need to know whether it's safe to cross the road. I need to know whether you're a good, you're a good person to be around me and my children. I need to be able to judge. Um, and it's not that I'm judging them and go, oh, they're really bad people. It's just like, that is a situation or is that a kind of person I don't want to be around? And as an empath and someone who channels a lot, again, it's another reason I don't drink because when I drink, I can't channel stuff and I can't feel stuff and energies and, um, and my seeing abilities disappear. But if I'm around people that have got a really negative energy or really painful energy, then that makes my energy, that in, it's like a dirty hand going into your womb when you're pregnant with a child, as my friend Danelle Bester says. That was such a great analogy when she said that. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> what a great analogy to use. <laughs> it's funny how some things just stick with you. Mm, absolutely. I was just like, wow, I'm so going to borrow that. And she was like, you can have it. I was like, I will take it. But, you know, we have to judge people. 
I like what you're saying, you know, because I always say judge less, love more. But I mean that from uh, like the way I get you're talking about is having healthy boundaries and protecting, mm. right? For and me, standards, absolutely. So you're, you're perhaps you, you judge a situation, but I always say, you know, there's always a reason why someone is a certain mm. way. So it's, it's good to stay curious. Absolutely. Why they're being so angry. But then there's power, as you say, and, you know, if you've got kids to protect, you may have to judge the situation. So that's actually quite a... Absolutely. It's part of us for a reason, you know, as you say, to keep us safe. Mm. So it's finding that balance between... Absolutely. Empathy ...and then keeping yourself safe. It is. And the thing is, it's like, if you're going to judge a situation and it's like, for example, the other day I was in a cafe um, and I told them in my best Portuguese Spanish um, that I was a vegan and gluten free. And this girl got really, really upset. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. And I'm sat there and she's she's sobbing on the phone with somebody telling the whole restaurant this whole situation. Um, and I'm just like, why has she got so upset? And then for me, it's like, if you can think of one reason why someone has got upset or someone has got triggered or someone is behaving a certain way, think of seven more. And if you can think of seven more, think of seven more. And this is something that I got from when I studied Islam, because in Islam, it always says that, um, you know, judge, but um, always think of seven ways of doing things you know, why would someone be that? I mean, she might have been upset because she'd had a really bad morning. She might have been upset because her mum was ill or she might have been upset because I reminded her of something or she might have been upset because she was so particular and she wanted to give such great service that the fact that she bought me um, a tapioca wrap that had got bacon in it and that, had, you know, she wanted to get it so right. She might have had a really nasty boss who was going to fire her if she took the food back to the kitchen. Mm -hmm. None of us know. Mm -hmm. So always be nice. But, you know, when someone is, or it might have been a whole host of other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just don't know. So always keep making uh, excuses for someone's behavior. Send them love, but just know, actually, this is not a place I want to be. These are not the people I want to be around. And these are the reasons. It's like I delete people from my space all the time, yeah. all yeah. the time, especially on the new moon. Like that's the best time to cleanse your space. And how do you, and, is it just, do you follow your gut? Do you meditate, pray? Like where does it feel when it's the right time to kind of distance yourself from certain people? Um, well, I do the party test, as I call it. If I was to invite this person to a party and they said, yes, how would I feel? If it's like, yes, they're staying, they're in my space. If they're, oh God, they said yes. <laughs> then you're like, okay, there's a reason why I felt like that. And then you explore it. Mm -hmm. um, it might be, for example, that people have connected with me. And um, like there was a woman that I connected with years ago um, and whenever someone sends me a connection request I always respond with hi with a voice note hi thank you for reaching out you know to connect with me you know I'm just and I, I go through their profiles I'll find out a bit about them before I let, allow them in my space but if they then spam me or they don't interact with me and they just you know they don't or if they don't respond to messages 
you're just like, why are you in my space? You've, you wanted to be in my space. I've welcomed you in my space. And now you ignore me. That's just rude. That's just bad manners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or if so, for example, I've known people for a pe- long period of time. And so it's like, and you can't have anything more than, hi, how are you? How are the kids? If that's the limitation of your conversation, you're just not connected anymore. And it's not that I'm deleting them because they're bad people. It's just that we're not each other's kind of people anymore. Mm-hmm. You want to go deeper, like you, you don't yeah. want surface level chat anymore. No, I'm not a surface level person. I'm as deep as the ocean. But do you think, like how many deep people could you have in your life, in your opinion? Like people, deep connections can you have in your life? You can have a deep connection with as many people as you like. It depends on your own individual capacity. Mm-hmm. Like my capacity for having deep conversations and deep people in my life might be more than yours. It might be less than yours. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's the capacity to go deep may be so out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But if people are not willing to interact with me and go deep and be challenged and grow and serve humanity, just follow me if you want to learn from me. Mm-hmm. don't send me a friendship request and then ignore me or don't send me a friendship request because it looks good that you're my friend. Um, Cause at the end of the day, people can't tell who my friends are because my friendship list is hidden on Facebook. You know, don't invite yourself into my life. If we're not actually, if I can't have a giggle with you, mm-hmm. if I can't have a deep and meaningful in, uh, conversation, we're not going to collaborate. Then what is the point of you being in my life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't collect people I'm not a stamp collector <laughs> yeah but I think with social media now as well you know you see people though that have got thousands and thousands of connections and you're thinking how <laughs> how can you manage that you know if it's just people that they're not perhaps a public figure but they're just gathering all these friendships and they're they're getting these accounts you think well it's not like you can connect with Mm. A thousand people, five thousand people. Mm. The other thing is, though, Joe, it's like you've got to look at it. If you've got ten thousand people on your Instagram, let's say, and you're not making a million, there's something wrong there mm-hmm. because these people are not buying from you. If you're in business, like if your Instagram is a business account, let's say, mm-hmm. if you are an influencer like we see so many people are influencers um, for various different reasons. And, you know, um, it might be travel influencers. So they're sharing huge amounts of photography about beautiful different locations, but they're not actually selling something. Then, you know, tens of thousands of followers, hundred thousand followers. That's fine. Like there's a woman, Oh my gosh, I've just come across her rebel thriver. Um, her name's Ellie. Amazing story. The quotes that she puts out, you know, people that have got really nice, beautiful quotes that they put out with great imagery. You know, she has a service in the background, mm-hmm. but it's like, if the, it's like, why do you want all of those tens of thousands of followers? What is the purpose? Are you doing it to inspire? Are you doing it to make money? Again, what is your intention? Mm-hmm. It all comes back to your intention. And again, that is something I learned from Islam. It's your niya. Right. And this is the thing, like, again, we talk about ignorance and judgments. Um, people like they judged Islam to be this really nasty, really vile, evil religion. But in essence, 
It is one of the most beautiful of the three Abrahamic faiths. It is the most evolved out of the three. Now, I walked away from Islam um, about six, seven years ago. Um, and, you know, but I still, and a lot of what people find inspiring about me are the characteristics and the behaviors and the thought processes that I gained from reading the Quran and living life as a Muslim, not as a cultural Muslim. Um, and then the, when I say that to them, they're like, what? Hey. And all this sacred geometry that all the spiritual people are now putting out there, and they're all talking about this 5D life. It's like, go read the Quran. Go study Islamic art. It's been there for years. But you're all now jumping on a bandwagon because it's trendy to talk about being 5D. It's trendy to talk about sacred geometry. It's been in the Quran for over 2000, for almost 2000 years. You're not doing anything new. Know where your stuff comes from. What was it that made you walk away? Um, well, it just wasn't answering my questions. My questions, and this is the beauty of it, because in the Quran, in, uh, in the Surah Baqarah, which is the uh, chapter Baqarah, it actually says, never follow your forefathers blindly and um, always question. I'm Obviously, I'm paraphrasing here. <laughs> um, and... The thing is, when you're questioning everything and you've got this curiosity, you elevate your thinking, you elevate your, um, and if you actually implement what you're learning, I mean, you can read all the memes all you like. Um, I mean, I put a post out the other week, you know, you can read all the books and memes you like, but if you don't implement them, you're a grossly obese inspiration eater. Um, and, you know, unless you're actually embodying everything that you're learning that is actually going to elevate you. And this is the beauty of it. You know, when you're reading the Quran and it's, um, oh, honestly, it's like a living, breathing, um, evolving book, but it wasn't answering my questions anymore. And everything that, but it was because everything that I was getting out of it was saying, go higher, go deeper. This is just a guidebook. Now it's in you. And there's something in all the holy texts that um, says, you know, whether it's like he, breathed, he fashioned you out of clay and breathed life into you, you know, or in the Quran, it says, you know, God is closer to you than your jugular vein. Well, that means that I am divine. That means that God is within me. That means that I am, uh, I, you know, I am God in many ways. And for some people, they're like, what? That, you can't say that, that's blasphemous. And it's like, well, read your texts, read what it's actually saying to you. He is within us. We are of one. And Jesus says, you can do more than I've, you know, he says, you can go on to Absolutely. do more than I've done. So it's like, there is this power, uh, this light. Do not worship me. Worship yourself. Yeah, it's funny, but it, we've misinterpreted a lot of this stuff. And it's not until mm -hmm. last year, I went on this really deep journey with mindfulness. And I was uh, listening to a lot and reading a lot. I don't know if I read too much though, because my brain- <laughs> You can never read too much. <laughs> well, I studied so, so much, but I was doing like the, med the meditation practice and all that as well. But yeah, um, I did think at one point, have I, sorry, have I read too many books? <laughs> Do I need just a wee break from thinking? And yeah, I yeah. And, you know, it's that balance. But, but yeah, that we've misinterpreted so much, you know, and it's- mm you really really break things down it's amazing what you can sort of get out of it but that that takes stepping back a little bit and yeah you know just questioning 
yeah questioning but like sometimes mm. in a gentle way you know without oh that's quite interesting mm. and that's the thing it's like if something um if you're just taking someone at something or someone at face value and you're not actually going okay why is it saying that what is beyond this and if i implemented this in this way this way this way this way and all in all areas of my life you know, and I remember talking to one of the Islamic scholars that I know, um, and he read the Wallahi where I talk about why I walked away. Um, and that was also about the living through Egypt during the Egyptian uprising, where I exposed the Egyptian government and the education system in Egypt. Um, he said, you haven't walked away from Islam. Goes, because in Islam, there are like three levels. They're like, you've got your Muslim, your Mu'min, and your Muslim. Mm -hmm. right and like your muslim is your elevated highly spiritual like this is the top level you can get to and he goes you've just become a muslim mm -hmm. i was like really mm -hmm. he goes yeah i said well i for me i have walked away from religion because religion is a man-made structure mm -hmm. your faith and your belief is intrinsic mm -hmm. do i believe in a higher power do i believe in source do i believe in universe do i believe in science whatever name we want to give to it then yes, I do, because I know that I can't create a tree. I know that I didn't create the oceans and the clouds. And when you actually look at the, the whole construct of the planets, you see this blueprint for life, whether it's the vein system within our bodies, whether it's the, the waterways uh, where they start at the top of the mountains and they drizzle down through the waterfalls and then the rivers and then the estuaries and then the little streams. You know, it's a blueprint. When you look at um you know so you, you've got the plants and the roots of trees it's the blue, same blueprint as the veins and the waterways when you look at the cosmos and you look at how the galaxies are all laid out it's the same blueprint mm -hmm. there is a blueprint of life that there is no way on earth that we could have created ourselves um, and so do i believe there is a higher power a higher source an entity an energy that created this absolutely i do if i call it god allah dieu the creator science universe whatever i want to call it it's still the same entity it's still the same thing we just want it and it's our ego that keeps us in religion and also for me it was like religion for me to say well i'm a christian or i'm a muslim or i'm a jew or i'm a buddhist um, and to put that label upon ourselves it's almost like, is that coming from ego that mine is right and yours is wrong? I Do like, I need that label? I quit like I'm a person of faith. <laughs> yeah, but faith in action, right? I can have faith in something, but if I'm not putting that into action, yeah, you know, it, it's like, I am a believer. I have faith, but I have faith that everything is going to work out. I believe that everything is going to work out for my highest greatness. If I take my faith and put that into action, if I believe myself, I believe in myself and I believe in other people then we can all raise each other up. And this is why when people, um, you know, they get jealous when you celebrate yourself or you celebrate an achievement or you share an achievement, um, and then they come back at you and they say, oh, you think you're so great. Or, oh, were well, you putting everybody else to shame? It's like, I'm not putting anybody to shame. I'm just 
doing me. I'm just being me. And I am sharing the success to inspire others, not to shout about myself, but also to let you know that this is possible. It's not just possible for me. It's possible for everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm a farmer's daughter from Norfolk. (laughs) I mean, to someone that's listening right now and they're like, yeah, I've done a bit of research about this and the source and I've looked deeper and I've tried to find who I am, but I'm just sort of struggling. What would you say? Like, what would be your top tips for people? Well, if they say I'm still struggling, stop saying that Mm -hmm. because you're just programming your mind to say I'm still struggling or I find this hard. Well, if you know, if you like, I speak Arabic and I can read Arabic, I can write Arabic. You'll go, oh, that must be really hard. I'm like, well, anything's hard if you think it is. Yeah. You know, and again, take whatever situation you're in now and instead of seeing it as a negative, see it as a platform to pivot from. Mm-hmm. And you can have all the faith in the world. And, um, but if you're, like for example, to use a faith analogy, and this is something that really did used to annoy me in the UK. Uh, we have all these churches that stand open and empty every day of the week, apart from Sunday or Saturday when there's a wedding. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is so much space in those churches. Why are, and like people are homeless and people are hungry. Why are the churches, if you really believe that we are there to serve and support one another and we're really believers of the Christian faith, why are these churches not open offering homes and food and clothing to the homeless and those that need it. Mm-hmm. Why are they not there? And all the money that the church has, why is that? Why are they not going out and distributing clothing? And I get it. The more you know, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, and you know, get, teach him how to fish and you feed. But why are they not putting on classes for you know to educate people that are on the streets or help to give them a leg up? If you really believe in the Christian faith, you will be doing everything to clean up your community and to support people instead of looking down on them and judging them for being homeless. There are churches, I've been to churches that are very proactive in the community. So I would say there are... Some of them are. As you say, not not all of them. No, I mean, look at how many churches there are that stand empty that don't do anything, but, you know... Uh, I'm going to I, be, I find every church I pass, I'll be like, what have they got on? Are they doing like, the, yeah. <laughs> are, they are you feeding the homeless? <laughs> Why are you doing cooking them? lessons? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point though. I mean, I'm sure there's loads of great work that goes on in communities that we don't know about. And, um, but as you say, there'll be a lot that doesn't. And it's kind of, mm. but, but for you, like you're, that's like an injustice you're talking about. And you can see it's like, Oh, do you allow yourself because you could we could spend our lives just being so annoyed and frustrated with every single thing like all oh, the churches are doing that all oh, politics and like do you allow yourself just like a few areas because if you were to like get frustrated by say 10 big things it would do you know what i mean Frazzle. i don't i don't i don't think i really get frustrated in a way because i go okay what is the problem mm-hmm What is it that, you know, like my friends laugh at me because when I say I get cross, they go, is that a one cup of tea cross or is that a two cup of tea cross? Uh And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, well, Dawn, you don't get cross. I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) They're like, what, like that? That's your cross, is it? And like, so 
for me, I'm like, I, d- I used to, but then I did all the internal work. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's a never ending journey, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and if I see something that, you know, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I get frustrated, I'm like, okay, why am I frustrated here? Mm-hmm. Okay, what can I do mm-hmm. either within me or around me? Yeah. to help alleviate this. I mean, I'm doing a PhD in international law and social justice um, because it's a way of me serving my clients because the more I know about international law and social justice, the books that I publish are autobiographical or biographical books. Um, and some of them include exposés um, and people sharing certain things and they need advice on what the law is. Are they allowed to do this? Can they say this? You know, I, when I wrote Crossing the Line, and, you know, that this is a frustration and the injustice that I wrote about in Crossing the Line. When I became a single mum, you know, that was a complete shock for me. You know, I, I, I got married and for me, getting married was for life. You know, it wasn't just, you know, a few years here or a few years there or, you know, just to get something. Um, and um, so I wrote in Crossing the Line what it was like for me becoming a single mum, reintegrating into the UK I expect I exposed the schools that my boys went to because they didn't deal with the Islamic racist behavior that was going on in the schools. Uh, I actually wrote in one of the book, uh, wrote in Crossing the Line that the headmaster of one of the schools, I'd said to him, when are you going to take bullying in this school seriously? When you find a boy hanging in the locker room? Mm. My friend read my book and she goes, Dawn, do you know what happened shortly after you took your boys out of that school? I was like, no, what? She goes, you know what you said to the head teacher? I was like, yeah. She goes, yeah, but they didn't find him in the locker room. They found him at home mm. because he'd been bullied by the same boys that had bullied my boy, mm. you know, and that made me, that upset me. That made me angry. Um, and that was, that was not just a two cups of tea angry that I was angry at that because that teacher had everything he could in his power to do something. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and shortly after that, um, my boys and I went on a road trip and a lot of people say that I was stitched up by my ex, um, not my ex-husband, but I was in a relationship at that point, uh, a narcissistic, toxic relationship, because I hadn't, again, done the work on myself. I hadn't healed the wounds from my, my marriage breaking down. Um, and I got arrested. I was thrown in a police cell for two and a half days. And I was like, you're not allowed to do this. You can't do this. I have not broken any laws. And I know I haven't. Mm-hmm. So I ended up with a three-year court case fighting because they said I'd willfully neglected and abandoned my children. No, I hadn't. I'd gone to, I'd gone to the ticket booth of a castle in Scotland to find out the opening times of a family ticket. Sorry, the f- opening times of the castle and the cost of a family ticket. I was gone maybe five, ten minutes. My boys were 12 and a half and eight and a half and they were in a black car with blacked out windows and with my dog. I, my eldest was legally old enough to take care and be paid to take care of his younger brother. Mm-hmm. And the police, and I was like, you're not allowed to do this. And for me, that was a massive injustice because it was like, okay, I am an intelligent woman. I have never been in the system. I speak English really well. I understand the law. I was also a police assessor. So I also knew they had broken the law um, with the way that they behaved. 
Um, and I was like, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to expose this and I'm going to write about the law. And I studied human rights law. I studied family law and I studied criminal law. I did the equivalent of a seven year law degree in about three years to fight and clear my name. And I wrote it all in a book that's really easy for people to read because I was like, if they could do it to someone like me, what are they doing? What are they doing to people who come from a lower social economic background that have either been in the system before either in the foster care system or in you know trouble with the police or if they were a new person to the UK that didn't speak English or they were from a different ethnicity that's not right that is not right that made me frustrated that made me angry I was like I'm going to take you down what's that book and I wrote that books that one's called crossing the line because they did they crossed the line massively but what people don't understand as well is that happened in Scotland I'm English I wasn't entitled to um, what do they call that? Um, you get money um, to help you uh, pay. No, it's um, like if you've been accused of something, you can get money to help you pay for your legal fees. But because I was English, I couldn't get it. Um, and because it happened in Scotland, I couldn't get any help from England to pay for my legal fees. But there is no in, there is no UK law. There's Scottish law and there's English and Welsh law. And an English lawyer cannot represent you in Scotland and a Scottish lawyer cannot represent you in England because their law, legal systems are so different. But people in the UK don't know that. They think we just have UK law and we don't. They're very different legal systems. Sounds like it taught you a lot, that whole experience, though. And then um, oh, it lit fire in my mama fire, I tell you. You don't mess with me. You don't mess with my mum. You don't mess with my boys. I mean, there's a lot of stuff um, about like narcissism and like toxic personalities and stuff. Mm. What would be your advice to someone who thought they might be in a relationship like that? Well, my next series of books, the Sacral series, is all about narcissism, toxic relationships and abuse within different kinds of relationships, whether that's a relationship with yourself or with a partner or with the system on various different levels or within the family. And I would, it took me two years to end that relationship. And I knew, and it was like, but again, the narcissists are so good. They're like, they're in your head. And they implant themselves into every single area of your life. And then they make out that it's all in your head. Mm. You don't need to put your head there, Dawn. Well, yeah. Is he ghosting me? Like, why is this, you know? And, and you've got to just, I mean, everybody's going to deal with it differently. I went down with, I mean, the story Moana shares my story because I couldn't um, share the other eight stories. They're all true stories. They've all been shared with me via my clients or people that I've met in some of the community projects that I've worked with. Um, and to protect their identities, I've given them a different ethnicity and a different nationality to highlight different areas of um, abuse going on around the world and what have you. Um, but everybody's going to deal with it differently. And in the sacral series, we're looking at womb healing. We're looking at timeline therapy we're looking at alternatives because you can go to a therapist you can numb yourself with alcohol you can take antidepressants but you're just numbing the problem you're delaying it mm -hmm. if you are in a narcissistic relationship and you feel that you are being abused trust that mm -hmm. trust yourself to trust yourself 
because that if you've got that feeling that someone is abusing you likelihood is they are soul knows mm -hmm. and don't allow anyone to tell you you're being too much or you're um you know and if you have to and if you've got no friends that you can turn to then go and go and find a refuge somewhere go and knock on the door of a woman's refuge somewhere or make a phone call to someone reach out to me i can put you in touch with people because the thing is there is so much of it going on and it's not just men doing it to women women are some of the biggest narcissists uh, out there and we own so much of the victimhood we own oh god help anyone who says that a woman is not right for being justified in her emotions we emasculate and damage men on a huge huge level and it's not on and it's something we discussed in the podcast to accompany moana because each of the books in the sacral series will have its own uh, podcast um, so in Moana podcast, we talk about narcissism, gang rape, um, and men and women being raped. Because when you say someone's been raped, we only think of men raping women. We never think of women raping men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you'll have the story in the book, but then you'll have a podcast series, a podcast um, that talks about the subjects itself. So it's, um, but trust yourself. If you think it's happening, trust it because it probably is. How do people access more of that soul from your experience rather than a noisy mind that sometimes can tell lies to us? Um, stop drinking, stop taking pharmaceuticals. Um, go and talk to somebody um, and you know, there, there's so much, Sandra Rollis, uh, I mean, I, I talk about her quite a bit now, but sandrarollis.com, you know, or go to YouTube and put Sandra Rollis in there. So S-A-N-D-R-A and then R-O-L-U-S. Um, seek out a life coach, have a conversation. There's so much free content on the internet at the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, go read my books. You know, there is, um, I mean, pick up Moana, read the Sacral series. There, there are so many of us out there now. There's so many free workshops, three-day challenges, five-day challenges. To, you know, if you're in a narcissistic relationship or you want to go soul deep, you know, there is so much content now. If you can find out how to work an iPhone and figure out an iPhone and you can figure out how to do your Instagram stories, you can figure out how to heal yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite a good point, actually. But do you think it would be mm. scares? What would you say to someone that's scared to go a bit deeper? Um, be afraid to stay where you are. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's good. Because if where you are, if you're afraid to go deep, then you're just sabotaging yourself. It's like mummy martyrdom. You know, like mummy martyrdom isn't a badge of honor. It's a, it's a sign of how little you value yourself. If you were giving up on your dreams and giving up on who you are and doing everything for your children and everything for your partner, then, and you're forgetting about who you are and going after what you want, that's just a way of showing people how to disrespect you because you're disrespecting yourself. Good answer. Yeah. Powerful. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could Talk to you about this all day. I've just got a few minutes left and then I'm on the school run. 
Gosh, that seems like a lifetime ago being on a school run. <laughs> and I've stood during this recording. I'm new. I'm getting my movement. I know. I've seen you. I've been watching it. I like it. Always slump, and I'm like, no, I need to sort my posture. So when I yeah, I've got Pilates in a bit. <laughs> I got to because I've been getting backache. But some people would say backache is a sign of something deeper within, and it's mm. like the weight of the world. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Absolutely, it is. You know, and you're not taking care of your body. I mean, you. I mean, you can see me. I mean, I've got these chiropractic straps, uh, tape on my shoulders, to because I mean, I had. I used to do MMA, um, and I used to do uh, like. I mean, I used to train five days a week, and I ended up with a shoulder injury. Um, and then I started swimming the other day. But what had happened was I'd had like um, some dental surgery, while I was quarantined in Argentina, and so these my neck muscles had triggered my trapeziums, which had triggered my shoulder injury. But what was really interesting in this is it's always on my right side and that's my masculine side. If you've got something going on on the right side of your body, dive deep into the masculine relationships in your life. If you've got something that's being triggered on the left side, it's to do with the feminine side of your body. So dive deep into the, into the feminine side, like your mother, your grandmother, your auntie, your sisters. Whatever is going on inside your body, is a direct result of something you need healing. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need drugs from the pharmaceutical companies which poison you, so you need to take another poison to counteract the effects of first poison and so on and so on and so on. I'm so anti-pharma, it's unbelievable. Um, and, you know, but if you have got, like my coccyx, that's really painful. Mm -hmm. But it's only really painful because of my shoulder injury um, and so my uh, left rib cage had to counteract that. So my hips had to counteract, but it's from me giving birth to my eldest son nearly 18 years ago. But also because I don't sit correctly, but also because my root chakra was blocked yeah. because I'm putting so much pressure on my body that if you look at it, if I'm putting pressure on a point in my body and I'm pushing down, pushing down, pushing down, then it's going to activate that root chakra. It's going to squash all the energy in there. Mm -hmm. So I've got to release stuff to be able to let energy flow through. And I had a Reiki session the other day. Oh my God, I was like, I was a zombie for ages, but I feel amazing now. <laughs> See, Don't we... underestimate energy. That's what I say. Well, it's a powerful thing. I could talk about energy all day. That's <laughs> We should have another conversation, Jojo. <laughs> next book I'm writing is all about that so I'll need to get your tips on how to make it a bestseller so that it <laughs> <laughs> but that's been fab so um I always ask people at the end what's their kind of favorite sort of like a song that helps them release their mojo that perhaps oh. tip for people to add to the yeah oh, footloose absolutely <laughs> absolutely the extended version like I hear that song and that is it I am like my feet, I can't stay still. So yeah, Footloose, the extended remix. I'll get Absolutely. that one with the kids later then and I'll release that. Absolutely, one. it's a party tune. <laughs> like, uh, and it, it doesn't matter whether you, like, whether you're feeling a bit, uh, put that on and I guarantee you by the end of the song, you'll be dancing. Oh, you just can't not, you just can't not. Well, thank you so much. It's been great. You're very welcome. Maybe we'll do a follow up sometime about energy. 
<laughs> that would be great. Yeah, we honestly happy to join you for any conversation, Jojo. I've absolutely enjoyed it today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dom, for taking us on a really interesting journey. Brazil to Scotland, we shared it all. And this is a song that gets this girl going. So if it gets you going, guys, get it on your playlist. Right? Shall we have a little sing? Shall we have a little shake off? Release the mojo. I got this feeling that time's just holding me down. Oh, yeah. Join in, guys. I'll hit the ceiling or else I'll tear up this town. Yeah. Tonight I gotta cut loose, put loose, kick off your Sunday shoes. They're off. Off now. Hold me up on my knees. Jack, get back. Come on before we crack. Lose your booze. Everybody cut loose. Oh, shake it. Shoes off, guys. Work it with me now. So cool. Obeying every rule. Spoke about that in the TEDx. You're burning your son for some Somebody to tell you That life ain't passing you by I'm trying to tell you It will if you don't even try So true Caloose, caloose Kick up the Sunday shoes Oh we merry Shake it, shake it for me. No, come on, come on, come on, let's go. Lose your blues. Everybody cut foot loose. Everybody, guys, cut foot loose. Shake it this Christmas. Get your ass shaking. Get into the mojo, out of the mind, quiet in that mind, and just do it, baby. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for being here, guys. All the love and good vibes. Peace, love, joy. All the good stuff this Christmas. Are you ready? Pull loose. Kick off your Sunday shoes. Please, Louise. Pull me up on my knees. Jack, get back. Come on before we crack. Lose your blues. Everybody cut through loose. Cut it. Foot loose, baby. Shoes off. Mwah. You're amazing. All the love and good vibes. <laughs>